From Eric Public Media and the Alaska Ice Corporation, this is the podcast Wikiredia, wherein we read from start to finish, without comment or commentary, the Wikipedia entries that we find interesting. Today's topic, the assassination of John F. Kennedy. The original Wikipedia page lives at www.wikipedia.org slash wiki slash assassination underscore of underscore John underscore F period underscore Kennedy. Before we start, we want to know what your favorite Wikipedia pages are. Please send suggestions for future episodes to wikiredia at pm.me. This is The Assassination of John F. Kennedy, Wikiredia episode number 12, date of production July 27th, 2020. And I'm your host, Eric Gorris. Let's get started. The Assassination of John F. Kennedy John F. Kennedy, the 35th President of the United States, was assassinated on Friday, November 22, 1963, at 12.30 p.m. Central Standard Time in Dallas, Texas, while riding in a presidential motorcade through Dealey Plaza. Kennedy was riding with his wife, Jacqueline, Texas Governor John Connolly, and Connolly's wife, Nellie, when he was fatally shot by former U.S. Marine Lee Harvey Oswald, firing in ambush from a nearby building. Governor Connolly was seriously wounded in the attack. The motorcade rushed to Parkland Memorial Hospital, where Kennedy was pronounced dead about 30 minutes after the shooting. Connolly recovered. Oswald was arrested by the Dallas Police Department 70 minutes after the initial shooting. Oswald was charged under Texas state law with the murder of Kennedy, as well as that of Dallas policeman J.D. Tippett, who had been fatally shot a short time after the assassination. At 11.21 a.m., November 24, 1963, as live television cameras were covering his transfer from the city jail to the county jail, Oswald was fatally shot in the basement of Dallas police headquarters by a Dallas nightclub owner, Jack Ruby. Oswald was taken to Parkland Memorial Hospital, where he soon died. Ruby was convicted of Oswald's murder, though it was later overturned on appeal, and Ruby died in prison in 1967 while awaiting a new trial. After a 10-month investigation, the Warren Commission concluded that the Oswald assassinated Kennedy, that Oswald had acted entirely alone, and that Ruby had acted alone in killing Oswald. Kennedy was the eighth and most recent U.S. president to die in office, and the fourth following Lincoln, Garfield, and McKinley to be assassinated. Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson automatically became president upon Kennedy's death. A later investigation, the United States House Select Committee on Assassinations, agreed with the Warren Commission that the injuries that Kennedy and Connolly sustained were caused by Oswald's three rifle shots, but they also concluded that Kennedy was probably assassinated as a result of a conspiracy. As analysis of the Dictabelt audio recording, pointed to the existence of an additional gunshot and therefore a high probability that two gunmen fired at the president. The committee was not able to identify any individuals or groups involved with the possible conspiracy. In addition, the HSCA found that the original federal investigations were seriously flawed with respect to the information sharing and the possibility of conspiracy. As recommended by the HSCA, the Dictabelt evidence suggesting conspiracy was subsequently re-examined and rejected. It was determined that the Dictabelt recorded different gunshots, which were fired at another location in Dallas and at a different time, 
which was not related to the assassination. In light of the investigative reports determining that reliable acoustic data do not support a conclusion that there was a second gunman, the United States Justice Department concluded active investigations and stated that no persuasive evidence can be identified to support the theory of a conspiracy in the assassination. However, Kennedy's assassination is still the subject of widespread debate and has spawned numerous conspiracy theories and alternative scenarios. Polls conducted from 1966 to 2004 found that up to 80% of Americans suspected that there was a plot or a cover-up. Kennedy Assassination Background and Route to Dealey Plaza Kennedy chose to travel to Texas to smooth over frictions in the Democratic Party between liberals Ralph Yarborough and Dan Yarborough, no relation, and conservative Texas Governor John Connolly. The visit was first agreed upon by Kennedy, Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson, and Connolly during a meeting in El Paso in June. Kennedy later decided to embark on the trip with three basic goals in mind. One, to help raise more Democratic Party presidential campaign fund contributions. Two, begin his quest for re-election in November 1964. And three, to help mend political fences among several leading Texas Democratic Party members who appeared to be fighting politically amongst themselves since the Kennedy-Johnson ticket had barely won Texas in 1960 and had even lost in Dallas. The trip was publicly announced in September 1963. The exact motorcade route was finalized on November 18th and publicly announced a few days before November 22nd. Kennedy's itinerary called for him to arrive at Dallas Love Field via a short flight from Carswell Air Force Base in Fort Worth. The motorcade route through Dallas with Kennedy, Connolly, and their wives together in a single limousine and Johnson and his wife, two cars behind, was intended to give Kennedy maximum exposure to local crowds before his arrival for a luncheon at the Trademark, where he would meet with civic and business leaders. The Dallas Trademark was preliminarily selected as a site for the luncheon and Kenneth O'Donnell, Kennedy's friend and appointment secretary, had selected it as the final destination on the motorcade route. Leaving from Dallas Love Field, the motorcade had been allotted 45 minutes to reach the trademark at a planned arrival time of 12.15 p.m. The itinerary was designed to serve as a meandering 10-mile route between the two places, and the motorcade vehicles could be driven slowly within the allotted time. Special Agent Winston G. Lawson, a member of the White House detail who acted as the advanced Secret Service agent, and Secret Service agent Forrest V. Sorrells, special agent in charge of the Dallas office, were most active in planning the actual motorcade route. On November 14th, both men attended a meeting at Love Field and drove over the route that Sorrells believed was best suited for the motorcade. From Love Field, the route passed through a suburban section of Texas, of Dallas, through downtown along Main Street, and finally to the Trademark via a short segment of the Stemmons Freeway. Kennedy had planned to return to Love Field to depart for a fundraising dinner in Austin later that day. For the return trip, the agent selected a more direct route, which was approximately four miles or 6.4 kilometers. The planned route to the trademark was widely reported in Dallas newspapers several days before the event for the benefit of people who wished to view the motorcade. To pass directly through downtown Dallas, a, a route west along Main Street rather than Elm Street was chosen since this was the traditional parade route and provided the maximal building and crowd views. The Main Street section of the route precluded a direct turn onto the Fort Worth Turnpike exit 
which served also as the Stedman's Freeway exit, which was the route to the trademark, as this exit was only accessible from Elm Street. Therefore, the planned motorcade route included a short one-block turn at the end of the downtown segment of Main Street onto Houston Street for one block northward, before turning again west onto Elm. That way, they could proceed through Dealey Plaza before exiting Elm onto the Stemmons Freeway. The Texas School Book Depository was situated at the northwest corner of Houston and Elm Street intersection. Three vehicles were used for the Secret Service and police protection in the Dallas motorcade. The first car, an unmarked white Ford hardtop, carried Dallas Police Chief Jesse Curry, Secret Service Agent Wynn Lawson, Sheriff Bill Decker, and Dallas Field Agent Forrest Sorrells. The second car, a 1961 Lincoln Continental convertible, was occupied by driver Agent Bill Greer, SAIC Roy Kellerman, Governor John Connolly, Nellie Connolly, President Kennedy, and Jackie Kennedy. The third car, a 1955 convertible codenamed Halfback, contained driver Sam Kenny, AT, SAIC, Emery Roberts, presidential aides Ken O'Donnell and Dave Powers, driver Agent George Hickey, and PRS agent Glenn Bennett. Secret Service agents Clint Hill, Jack Reddy, Tim McIntyre, and Paul Landis rode on the running boards. On November 22nd, after a break after a breakfast speech in Fort Worth, where Kennedy had stayed overnight after arriving from San Antonio, Houston, and Washington, D.C. the previous day, Kennedy boarded Air Force One, which departed at 11.10 and arrived at Love Field 15 minutes later. At about 11.40, Kennedy's motorcade left Love Field for the trip through Dallas, running on a schedule about 10 minutes longer than the planned 45 due to enthusiastic crowds estimated at 150 to 200,000 people and two unplanned stops directed by Kennedy. Kennedy assassination, assassination, shooting in Dealey Plaza. Kennedy's open top 1961 Lincoln Continental four-door convertible limousine entered Dealey Plaza at 12.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Nellie Connolly, the First Lady of Texas, turned to Kennedy, who was sitting behind her, and commented, Mr. President, you can't say Dallas doesn't love you. Kennedy's reply, no, you certainly can't, were his last words. From Houston Street, the limousine made the planned left turn onto Elm to provide access to the Stemmons Freeway exit. As it turned, it passed by the Texas School Book Depository, and it continued down Elm Street. Shots were fired. About 80% of the witnesses recalled hearing three shots. A small number of witnesses recognized the first gunshot shortly after Kennedy began waving for what it was, but there was little reaction from most in the crowd or riding in the motorcade. Many later said they imagined what they heard to be a firecracker or a vehicle backfiring. Although some close witnesses recalled seeing the limousine slow down, nearly stop, or completely stop, the Warren Commission, based on the Zapruder film, found that the limousine had traveled an average speed of 11.2 miles per hour over the 186 feet of Elm Street immediately preceding the fatal headshot. Within one second of each other, Governor Connolly and Mrs. Kennedy turned abruptly from looking to their left to looking to their right, beginning at Zapruder film 
frame 162. Connolly, like Kennedy, was a World War II military veteran and a longtime hunter. He testified that he immediately recognized the sound as that of a high-powered rifle and turned his head and torso rightward in an attempt to see Kennedy behind him. He testified he could not see Kennedy, so then he started to turn forward again, turning from his right to his left, and that was when his head was facing about 20 degrees left of center. He was hit in his upper right back by a bullet that he did not hear fired. The doctor who operated on Connolly estimated that his head, at the time he was hit, had been 27 degrees left of center. After Connolly was hit, he shouted, Oh no, 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 my God, they're going to kill us all. Mrs. Connolly testified that just after hearing a loud, frightening noise that came from somewhere behind her and to her right, she turned towards Kennedy and saw him raise up his arms and elbows with his hands in front of his face and throat. She then heard another shot and then Governor Connolly yelling. Mrs. Connolly then turned away from Kennedy toward her husband, at which point another gunshot sounded, and both she and the limousine's rear interior were covered with fragments of skull, blood, and brain. According to the Warren Commission and the House Select Committee on Assassinations, Kennedy was waving to the crowds on his right with his right arm upraised on the side of the limo when a shot entered his upper back, penetrated his neck, and slightly damaged a spinal vertebra and the top of his right lung. The bullet exited his throat nearly centerline just beneath his larynx and nicked the left side of his suit-tie knot. He raised elbows and clenched his fists in front of his face and neck, then leaned forward and left. Mrs. Kennedy, facing him, then put her arms around him in concern. According to the Warren Commission's single-bullet theory, Governor Conley also reacted after the same bullet penetrated his back just below the right armpit. The bullet created an oval-shaped entry wound, impacted and destroyed four inches of his right fifth rib, and exited his chest just below the right nipple. This created a two-and-a-half-inch oval-shaped air-sucking chest wound. The same bullet then entered his arm just above his right wrist and cleanly shattered his right radial bone, radius bone into eight pieces. The bullet exited just below the wrist at the inner side of his right palm and finally lodged in his left inner thigh. The Warren Commission theorized that the single bullet struck sometime between Zapruder frames 210 and 225, while the House Select Committee theorized that it struck at approximately Zapruder frame 190. According to the Warren Commission, a second shot that struck Kennedy was recorded at Zapruder film frame 313. The commission made no conclusion as to whether this was the second or third bullet fired. The limousine then passed in front of the John Neely Bryan North Pergola concrete structure. The two investigative committee committees concluded that the second shot to hit Kennedy entered the rear of his head. The House Select Committee placed the entry wound four inches higher than the Warren Commission placed it and passed in fragments through his skull. This created a large, roughly ovular hole in the right rear side of the head. Kennedy's blood and fragments of his scalp, brain, and skull landed on the interior of the car, the inner and outer surfaces of the front glass windshield, the raised sun visors, the front engine hood, and the rear trunk lid. His blood and fragments also landed on the Secret Service follow-up car and its driver's left arm, as well as on the motorcycle officers who were riding on both sides of Kennedy just behind the vehicle. 
Secret Service agent Clint Hill was riding on the left front running board of the follow-up car, which was immediately behind Kennedy's limousine. He testified that he heard one shot then, as documented in other films and concurrent with Zapruder frame 308, he jumped off into Elm Street and ran forward to board the trunk of the limousine and protect Kennedy. He testified to the Warren Commission that he heard the fatal headshot as it was reaching the limousine, approximately five seconds after the first shot that he heard. After Kennedy was shot in the head, Mrs. Kennedy began climbing out onto the back of the limousine, though she later had no recollection of doing so. Hill believed she was reaching for something, perhaps a piece of Kennedy's skull. He jumped onto the back of the limousine, while at the same time Mrs. Kennedy returned to her seat as he clung to the car as it exited Dealey Plaza and accelerated, speeding to Parkland Memorial Hospital. After Mrs. Kennedy crawled back into her limousine seat, both Governor and Mrs. Connolly heard her repeatedly say, They have killed my husband. I have his brains in my hand. Mrs. Kennedy recalled, All the ride to the hospital, I kept bending over him saying, Jack, Jack, can you hear me? I love you, Jack. I kept holding the top of his head down, trying to keep the brains in. Kennedy assassination aftermath in Dealey Plaza. The limousine was passing the grassy knoll to the north of Elm Street at the time of the fatal headshot. As the motorcade left Dealey Plaza, police officers and spectators ran up the grassy hill and from the triple underpass to the area behind a five foot high stockade fence atop the knoll, separating it from a parking lot. No sniper was found there. S.M. Holland, who had been watching the motorcade on the triple underpass, testified that immediately after the shots were fired, he saw a puff of smoke rising from the trees by the stockade fence and then ran around the corner where the overpass joined the fence, but did not see anyone running from that area. Lee Bowers was in a two-story railroad switch tower, which gave him an unobstructed view of the rear of the stockade fence atop the grassy knoll. He saw four men in the area between his tower and Elm Street, two men who seemed not to know each other standing 10 to 15 feet apart under the triple underpass, and one or two uniformed parking lot attendants. At the time of the shooting, he saw something out of the ordinary, a sort of milling around which he could not identify. Bowers testified that one or both of the men were still there when motorcycle officer Clyde Haygood ran up the grassy knoll to the back of the fence. In a 1966 interview, Bowers clarified that the two men he saw were standing in the opening between the pergola and the fence and that no one was behind the fence at the time the shots were fired. Meanwhile, Howard Brennan, a steam fitter who had been sitting across the street from the Texas School Book Depository, approached police to say that as the motorcade passed, he heard a shot come from above, then looked up to see a man with a rifle take another shot from a sixth floor corner window. He said he had seen the same man looking out the window minutes earlier. Police broadcast Brennan's description of this man at 1245, 1248, and 12.55 p.m. After the second shot, Brennan recalled this man was aiming for his last shot and maybe paused for another second as though to assure himself that he had hit his mark. As Brennan spoke to the police in front of the building, they were joined by two book depository employees who had been watching the motorcade from windows at the southeast corner of the building's fifth floor. One reported hearing three gunshots come from directly over their heads and sounds of a bolt-action rifle and cartridges dropping on the floor above. 
Dallas police sealed off the exits from the depository approximately between 12.33 and 12.50 p.m. There were at least 104 witnesses in Dealey Plaza who were on record with an opinion as to the direction from which the shots came. 54% thought that all shots came from the book depository building. 33-32% thought that they came from either the grassy knoll or the triple underpass. 9% thought that each shot had come from a location entirely distinct from the knoll or the depository. 5% believed that they heard shots from two locations, and 3% thought that the shots originated from a direction consistent with both the knoll and the depository. The Warren Commission additionally concluded that three shots were fired and that a substantial majority of the witnesses stated that the shots were not evenly spaced. Most witnesses recalled that the second and third shots were bunched together. Kennedy, Assassination, Lee, Harvey Oswald, and Jack Ruby. After Oswald's supervisor at the depository reported him missing, police broadcast his description as a suspect in the shooting at Dealey Plaza. Police officer J.D. Tippett subsequently spotted Oswald walking along a sidewalk in the residential neighborhood of Oak Cliff, three miles from Dealey Plaza. Tippett called him over to the patrol car. After an exchange of words, Tippett got out of his car, Oswald shot Tippett four times, emptied the bullet casings from his gun, and fled. Oswald was subsequently seen ducking into the entrance alcove of a store by the store's manager, who then watched Oswald continue up the street and slip into the Texas theater without paying. The store manager alerted the theater's ticket clerk, who telephoned police at about 1.40 p.m. Officers arrived and arrested Oswald inside the theater. According to one of the officers, Oswald resisted and was attempting to draw his pistol when he was struck and restrained. Oswald was charged with the murders of Kennedy and Tippett later that night. He denied shooting anyone and claimed that he was being made a patsy because he had lived in the Soviet Union. On Sunday, November 24th at 11.21 a.m. Central Standard Time, as Oswald was being escorted to a car in the basement of Dallas Police Headquarters for the transfer from city jail to the county jail. He was fatally shot by Dallas nightclub owner Jack Ruby. The shooting was broadcast live on American television. Unconscious, Oswald was taken by ambulance to Parkland Memorial Hospital, where Kennedy had died two days earlier. Oswald died at 1.07 p.m. Oswald's death was announced on a TV news broadcast by Dallas Police Chief Jesse Curry. An autopsy later that day by Dallas County Medical Examiner Earl Rose found that Oswald had been killed by a gunshot wound to the chest. Arrested immediately after the shooting, Ruby said that he had been distraught by Kennedy's death and that killing Oswald would spare Mrs. Kennedy the discomfiture of coming back to trial. Kennedy assassination, Carcano rifle. An Italian Carcano M91-38 bolt-action rifle was found on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository by Deputy Constable Seymour Weitzman and Deputy Sheriff Eugene Boone soon after the assassination. The recovery was filmed by Tom Alyea of WFAA-TV. This footage shows the rifle to be a Carcano 
and photographic analysis commissioned by the HSCA verified that the rifle filmed was the one later identified as the assassination weapon. Compared to photographs taken of Oswald holding the rifle in his backyard, one notch in the stock at a point appears very faintly in the photograph matched, as well as the rifle's dimensions. The rifle had been purchased secondhand by Oswald the previous March under the alias A. Hidel and delivered to a post office box he had rented in Dallas. According to the Warren report, a partial palm print belonging to Oswald was also found on the barrel, and fibers found in a crevice of the rifle were consistent with the fibers from the shirt Oswald was wearing when he was arrested. A bullet found on Governor Connolly's hospital gurney and two bullet fragments found in the limousine were ballistically matched to this rifle. Kennedy Assassination, Death Declaration and Autopsy In a death certificate executed the following day, Kennedy's personal physician, George Berkeley, recited that he arrived at the hospital some five minutes after Kennedy, and although Secret Service personnel reported that Kennedy had been breathing, he immediately saw that survival was impossible. The death certificate listed gunshot wound skull as the cause of death. Kennedy was pronounced dead at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time after heart activity ceased. Father Oscar Huber administered the last rites of the Roman Catholic Church. Huber told the New York Times that by the time he arrived at the hospital, Kennedy had died, so that he had to draw back a sheet covering Kennedy's face to administer the sacrament of extreme unction. Kennedy's death was announced by White House Acting Press Secretary Malcolm Kilduff at 1.33 p.m. Press Secretary Pierre Salinger was traveling to Japan that day along with much of the cabinet. Governor Conley, meanwhile, was taken to emergency surgery where he underwent two operations that day. Members of Kennedy's security detail were attempting to remove Kennedy's body from the hospital when they briefly scuffled with Dallas officials, including Dallas County Coroner Earl Rose, who believed that he was legally obligated to perform an autopsy before Kennedy's body was removed. The Secret Service pushed through, and Rose eventually stepped aside. The forensic panel of the HSCA, of which Rose was a member, later said that Texas law made it the responsibility of the Justice of the Peace to determine cause of death and to determine whether an autopsy was needed. A Dallas County Justice of the Peace signed the official record of inquest, as well as a second certificate of death. A few minutes after 2 p.m., Kennedy's body was taken from Parkland Hospital to Love Field. His casket was loaded into the rear of the passenger compartment of Air Force One in place of a row of removed seats. Vice President Lyndon Johnson had accompanied Kennedy to Dallas and had been riding two cars behind Kennedy's limousine in the motorcade. At 2.38 p.m., with Jacqueline Kennedy at his side, he was administered the oath of office by federal judge Sarah T. Hughes aboard Air Force One shortly before departing for Washington. Kennedy's autopsy was performed at the Bethesda Naval Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland, between 8 p.m. and midnight Eastern Standard Time. It was performed at a naval hospital at the request of Jacqueline Kennedy on the basis that President Kennedy had been a naval officer during World War II. Kennedy Assassination Funeral 
Kennedy's body was flown back to Washington, D.C. and placed in the East Room of the White House for 24 hours. The following Sunday, his coffin was carried on a horse-drawn caisson to the United States Capitol to lie in state. Throughout the day and night, hundreds of thousands of people lined up to view the guarded casket. Representatives from more than 90 countries attended the state funeral on Monday, November 25th. After the Requiem Mass at St. Matthew's Cathedral, Kennedy was buried at Arlington National Cemetery, just outside Washington in Virginia. Film and Audio no radio or television stations broadcast the assassination live. Most media crews did not ride with the motorcade, but were instead waiting at the Dallas trademark in anticipation of Kennedy's arrival there. Members of the media who were with the motorcade were riding at the rear of the procession. The Dallas police were recording their radio transmissions over two different channels. Channel 1 was used for routine police communications, while Channel 2 was dedicated to the motorcade. Until shots were fired, most traffic on the second channel was Police Chief Jesse Curry's updates on the motorcade's location. Kennedy's last seconds of traveling through Dealey Plaza were recorded on silent 8mm film for the 26 seconds before, during, and immediately following the assassination. This famous film footage was taken by garment manufacturer and amateur cameraman Abraham Zapruder and became known as the Zapruder Film. Frame enlargements from the Zapruder film were published by Life magazine shortly after the assassination. The footage was first shown publicly as a film at the trial of Clay Shaw in 1969 and on television in 1975. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, in 1999, an arbitration panel ordered the United States government to pay $615,000 per second of film to Zapruder's heirs for giving the film to the National Archives. The complete film, which lasts for roughly over 26 seconds, was valued at $16 million. Including Zapruder, 32 photographers are known to have been in Dealey Plaza that day. Amateur movies taken by Orville Nix, Marie Munchmore, and photographer Charles Bronson captured the fatal shot, although at a greater distance than Zapruder did. Other motion picture films were taken in Dealey Plaza at or around the time of the shooting by Robert Hughes, F. Mark Bell, Elsie Dorman, John Martin Jr., Patsy Paschal, Tina Towner, James Underwood, Dave Weigman, Mal Couch, Thomas Atkins, and an unknown woman in a blue dress on the south side of Elm Street. Still photos were taken by Philip Willis, Mary Mormon, Hugh Bensner Jr., Wilma Bond, Robert Croft, and many others. Ike Alchins, a photo editor for the Associated Press in Dallas, was the only professional photographer in Dealey Plaza who was not in the press cars. Motion pictures and photographs taken by some of these people show an unidentified woman, nicknamed by researchers Babushka Lady, apparently filming the motorcade around the time of the assassination. Previously unknown color footage filmed on the assassination day by George Jeffries was released in February 2007. The film shot more than 90 seconds before the assassination, several blocks away. However, it gives a clear view of Kennedy's bunched suit jacket just below the collar, which has led to varying calculations of how low in the back Kennedy was first shot. Official investigations by the Dallas police 
FBI Investigation and Warren Commission. After the Dallas police arrested Oswald and collected physical evidence at the crime scenes, they held Oswald at their headquarters, questioning him all afternoon about the shootings of Kennedy and Tippett. They intermittently questioned him for approximately 12 hours between 12.30 p.m. on November 22nd and 11 a.m. on November 24th. Throughout, Oswald denied any involvement with either shooting. Captain Fritz of the Homicide and Robbery Bureau did most of the questioning. He kept only rudimentary notes. Days later, he wrote a report of the interrogation from notes he made afterwards. There were no stenographic or tape recordings. Representatives of other law enforcement agencies were also present, including the FBI and the Secret Service, and occasionally participated in the questioning. Several of the FBI agents who were present wrote contemporaneous reports of the interrogation. On the evening of the assassination, Dallas police performed paraffin tests on Oswald's hands and right cheek in an effort to establish whether he had or had not recently fired a weapon. The results were positive for the hands and negative for the right cheek. Such tests were unreliable and the Warren Commission did not rely on these results. Oswald provided little information during his questioning. When confronted with evidence that he could not explain, he resorted to statements that were found to be false. On December 9, 1963, the Warren Commission received the FBI's report of its investigation, which concluded that three bullets had been fired, the first hitting Kennedy, the second hitting Connolly, and the third hitting Kennedy in the head, killing him. The Warren Commission concluded that one of the three shots missed, one passed through Kennedy and then struck Connolly, and a third struck Kennedy in the head. The President's Commission on Assassination of President Kennedy, known unofficially as the Warren Commission, was established on November 29, 1963, by President Johnson to investigate the assassination. Its 888-page final report was presented to Johnson on September 24, 1964, and made public three days later. It concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald had acted alone in killing Kennedy and wounding Connolly, and that Jack Ruby acted alone in killing Oswald. The commission's findings have proven controversial and been variously criticized and supported by later studies. The commission took its unofficial name, the Warren Commission, from its chairman, Chief Justice Earl Warren. According to published transcripts of Johnson's presidential phone conversations, some major officials were opposed to forcing and forming such a commission, and several commission members took part only with extreme reluctance. One of their chief reservations was that a commission would ultimately create more controversy than consensus, and those fears ultimately proved valid. All of Warren Commission's records were submitted to the National Archive in 1964. The unpublished portion of those records was initially sealed for 75 years to the year 2039 under a general National Archives policy that applied to all federal investigations by the executive branch of government, a period intended to serve as protection for the innocent persons who could otherwise be damaged because of their relationship with participants in the case. The 75-year rule no longer exists, supplanted by the Freedom of Information Act of 1966 and the JFK Records Act of 1992. Additional Investigations The Ramsey-Clark Panel 
1968, a panel of four medical experts appointed by Attorney General Ramsey Clark met to examine photographs, x-rays, documents, and other evidence. The panel concluded that Kennedy was struck by two bullets fired from above and behind, one traversing the base of the neck on the right without striking bone, and the other entering the skull from behind and destroying its upper right side. They also concluded that the skull shot entered well above the external occipital protuberance, which was at odds with the Warren Commission's findings. The Rockefeller Commission The United States President's Commission on CIA Activities within the United States was set up under Gerald Ford in 1975 to investigate the activities of the CIA within the United States. The commission was led by Vice President Nelson Rockefeller and is sometimes referred to as the Rockefeller Commission. Part of the commission's work dealt with the Kennedy assassination, specifically the head snap as seen in the Zapruder film, first shown to the general public in 1975, and the possible presence of E. Howard Hunt and Frank Sturgis in Dallas. The commission concluded that neither Hunt nor Sturgis was in Dallas at the time of the assassination. The Church Committee is the common term referring to the 1975 United States Select Committee to Study Governmental Operations with Respect to Intelligence Activities, a U.S. Senate committee chaired by Senator Frank Church to investigate the illegal intelligence gatherings by the Central Intelligence Agency and Federal Bureau of Investigation after the Watergate incident. It also investigated the CIA and FBI conduct relating to the JFK assassination. The report concluded that the investigation on the assassination by FBI and CIA were fundamentally deficient and that the facts that may have greatly affected the investigation had not been forwarded to the Warren Commission by the agencies. The report hinted that there was a possibility that senior officials in both agencies made conscious decisions not to disclose potentially important information. United States House Select Committee on Assassinations As a result of increasing public and congressional skepticism regarding the Warren Commission's findings and the transparency of government agencies, House Resolution 1540 was passed in September 1976, creating the United States House Select Committee on Assassinations, the HSCA, to investigate the assassinations of Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr., the committee investigated until 1978 and in March 1979 issued its final report, concluding that President John F. Kennedy was probably assassinated as a result of a conspiracy. The chief reason for this conclusion was, according to the report's dissent, the subsequently discredited acoustic analysis of a police channel dictabelt recording. The committee concluded that previous investigators into Oswald's responsibility were thorough and reliable, but they did not adequately investigate the possibility of a conspiracy, and that federal agencies performed with varying degrees of competency. Specifically, the FBI and CIA were found to be deficient in sharing information with other agencies and the Warren Commission. Instead of furnishing all information relevant to the investigation, the FBI and CIA only responded to specific requests and were still occasionally inadequate. Furthermore, the Secret Service did not properly analyze information it possessed prior to the assassination and was inadequately prepared to protect Kennedy. Concerning the conclusions of probable conspiracy, four of the 12 committee members wrote dissenting opinions. In accordance with the recommendations of the HSCA, the dictabout recording and acoustic evidence of a second assassin 
was subsequently re-examined. In light of investigative reports from the FBI's Technical Services Division and a specifically appointed National Academy of Sciences committee determining that reliable acoustic data do not support a conclusion that there was a second gunman, the Justice Department concluded that no persuasive evidence could be identified to support the theory of a conspiracy in the Kennedy assassination. Although the final report supporting the volumes of the HSCA was publicly released, the working papers and primary documents were sealed until 2029 under congressional rules and only partially released as part of the 1992 JFK Act. The JFK Act. In 1992, the popular but controversial movie JFK had renewed public interest in the assassination and particularly in the still-classified documents referenced in the film's postscript. Largely in response to the film, Congress passed the JFK Act, or President John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act of 1992. The goal of the legislation was to collect at the National Archives and make publicly available all of the assassination-related records held by federal and state government agencies, private citizens, and various other organizations. The JFK Act also mandated the creation of an independent office, the Assassination Records Review Board, to review the submitted records for completeness and continued accuracy. The Reviews Board was not commissioned to make any findings or conclusions regarding the assassination, just to collect and release all related documents. From 1994 until 1998, the Assassination Records Review Board gathered and unsealed about 60,000 documents, consisting of over 4 million pages. Government agencies requested that some records remain classified, and these were reviewed under Section 6 criteria of the JFK Act. There were 29,420 such records, and all of them were fully or partially released with stringent requirements for redaction. A staff report for the Assassination's Records Review Board contended that brain photographs in the Kennedy records are not of Kennedy's brain and show much less damage than Kennedy sustained. Boswell refuted these allegations. The board also found that, conflicting with the photographic images showing no such defect, a number of witnesses at both the hospital and the autopsy saw a large wound in the back of Kennedy's head. The board and board member Jeremy Gunn have also stressed the problems with witness testimony, asking people to weigh all of the evidence, with due concern for human error rather than take single statements as proof of one theory or another. All remaining assassination-related records, approximately 5,000 pages, were scheduled to be released by October 25, 2017, with the exception of documents certified for continued postponement by seceding presidents under the following conditions. 1. Continued postponement is made necessary by an identifiable harm to the military, defense, intelligence operations, law enforcement's, or conduct of foreign relations, and 2. The identifiable harm is of such gravity that it outweighs the public interest in disclosure. There was some concern among researchers that significant records, particularly those of the CIA, might still remain classified after 2017. Although these documents may include interesting historical information, all of the records were examined by the review board and were not determined to impact the facts of the Kennedy assassination. President Donald Trump said in October 2017 that he would not block the release of documents. On October on 
26th of April, 2018, the deadline set by President Trump to release all JFK records, he blocked the release of some records until October 26, 2021. Conspiracy Theories Many conspiracy theories posit that the assassination involved people or organizations, in addition to Lee Harvey Oswald. Most current theories put forth a criminal conspiracy involving parties as varied as the FBI, the CIA, the U.S. military, the mafia, Vice President Lyndon Johnson, Cuban President Fidel Castro, the KGB, or some combination of those entities. Public opinion polls have consistently shown that a majority of Americans believe there was a conspiracy to kill Kennedy. Gallup polls have also found that only 20 to 30 percent of the population believe that Oswald had acted alone. These polls also show that there is no agreement on who else may have been involved. Former Los Angeles District Attorney Vincent Bugliosi estimated that a total of 42 groups, 82 assassins, and 214 people had been accused in various Kennedy assassination conspiracy theories. Reactions to the assassination The assassination evoked stunned reactions worldwide. The first hour after the shooting was a time of great confusion before the president's death was announced. The incident took place during the Cold War, and it was at first unclear whether the shooting might be part of a larger attack upon the United States. There was also concern whether Vice President Johnson, who had been riding two cars behind in the motorcade, was safe. The news shocked the nation. People wept openly and gathered in department stores to watch the television coverage, while others prayed. Traffic in some areas came to a halt as the news spread from car to car. Schools across the United States dismissed their students early. Anger against Texas and Texans was reported from some individuals. Various Cleveland Browns fans, for example, carried signs at next Sunday's home game against the Dallas Cowboys, decrying the city of Dallas as having killed the president. However, there were also instances of Kennedy's opponents cheering the assassination. A journalist reported rejoicing in the streets of Amarillo, with a woman crying out, Hey, great, JFK's croaked. The event left a lasting impression on many worldwide, as with the preceding attack on Pearl Harbor of December 7, 1941, and much later the September 11 attacks, asking, Where were you when you heard about President Kennedy's assassination? would become a common topic of discussion. Artifacts, Museums, and Locations Today The airplane that served as Air Force One at the time of the assassination is on display at the National Museum of the United States Air Force in Dayton, Ohio. The 1961 Lincoln Continental Limousine is on display at the Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn, Michigan. Jacqueline Kennedy's pink suit, the autopsy report, the x-rays, and President Kennedy's blood-stained clothing are in the National Archives, with access controlled by the Kennedy family. Other items in the archive include equipment from Parkland Hospital trauma room, Oswald's rifle, diary and revolver, bullet fragments, and the windshield of Kennedy's limousine. In 1993, the three-acre park within Dealey Plaza the buildings facing it, the overpass, and a portion of the adjacent rail yard, including the railroad switching tower, 
were incorporated into the Dealey Plaza Historic District by the National Park Service. Much of the area is accessible by visitors, including the park and the, and the grassy knoll. Elm Street is still an active thoroughfare. An X painted in the road marks the approximate spot at which the shots struck Kennedy and Connolly. The Texas School Book Depository and its sixth floor museum draw over 325,000 visitors annually and contain a recreation of the area from which Oswald fired. The sixth floor museum also manages the John Fitzgerald Kennedy Memorial located one block east of Dealey Plaza. At the direction of the deceased president's brother, Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy, some items were destroyed by the United States government. The casket in which Kennedy's body was transported from Dallas to Washington was dropped into the sea by the Air Force because its public display would be extremely offensive and contrary to public policy. The Texas State Archives has the clothes Connolly was wearing when he was shot. The gun Ruby used to kill Oswald later came into possession of Ruby's brother, Earl, and was sold in 1991 for $220,000. That's it for today's episode of Wikiredia. Look, before you go, be sure to hit subscribe, follow us on Twitter at It's Wikiredia, and tell your friends. What do you want to listen to? Send topic ideas to our email, which is wikiredia at pm.me. Our producer and narrator, that's me, is Eric Gorris. Our engineer is OJ Tingles, and our content editor is Johnny Rocketship. We ask you to support this show by following and sharing, but more importantly, just listening. We also ask that you do your part to support Wikipedia itself by considering a donation donation to the Wikipedia Foundation. That can be done at wikipedia.org. All, or at least the vast majority, of the words spoken on this show are from the text of Wikipedia entries, and we're using those words under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license, which grants us, and in fact anyone, the right to adapt the original work remix it, and then to distribute and transmit the work even for commercial purposes. This license requires that we name the author of the original work, which in this case is Wikipedia. Wikiredia itself is also distributed under the same Creative Commons attribution, Sharealike 3.0 license. Wikiredia is a production of Eric Public Media and the Alaska Ice Corporation.